Lord just began to drop this in my spirit yesterday, and I believe it's the word of the Lord for the house in this season. So if you'd open your Bibles with me to the book of Luke chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 28 through 36. Luke 9, 28 through 36, and when you get there, say amen. Luke 9, 28 through 36. I'm going to read it in the New King James Version. This is what it says. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days of any of the things they had seen. Father, tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray you grant us wisdom and revelation. I pray you grant us understanding and insight. And I pray that you would wake us up and cause us to see the glory of Jesus. I ask it in his precious name. Amen. It says here in this passage of scripture, eight days after he said these things. It says there in verse 28, eight days after these sayings. What sayings? What happened eight days earlier? Well, eight days earlier, he was in Caesarea Philippi with his disciples, and he asked them that question, who do men say that I am? They said, some people say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets of old. And he said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up and said, you're the Christ the Son of the living God. And we know from Matthew 16, the fullness of that story, that Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say that you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So there was this powerful moment of revelation. He says to Peter, you did not come to that conclusion on your own. And how many know that you don't come to the conclusion of who Jesus is on your own? Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. He said, no one knows the Father except the Son. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And those to Him He chooses to reveal Him. You don't know who the Father is unless Jesus shows you. And you don't know who the Son is is unless the Father shows you. So He says, Peter, you just stumbled upon a moment of divine revelation. And Peter didn't know that he was speaking by revelation. He just thought it's obvious. 
It's obvious you're the Son of God. You're working miracles. You're opening blind eyes. You're opening deaf ears. It's obvious. How many know that when we see the works of God, it just seems obvious to us who He is? But it's not obvious because the Pharisees and Sadducees saw Him do the same things and came to an opposite conclusion. Matter of fact, they accused Him of having a devil. said, it's more than your observation, Peter. It's more than the fact that you've observed some mighty works. You have received some revelation from the Father. My Father told you who I am. You've been listening to my daddy, Peter. That's, that's why you know who I am, because you've been listening to my daddy. You see, and everybody who listens to my daddy comes to me. Everybody who listens to my daddy knows who I am. And Peter had this great moment of revelation, and it says, eight days later, eight days went by a week and a day later, a week and a day after Peter had this revelation. You know, whenever you stumble upon a moment of revelation, you know what revelation is? Revelation is the unveiling of God. Revelation is when God pulls back the curtain and shows you something that eyes aren't supposed to be able to see. Paul said that he was caught up into third heaven and heard unspeakable words. Paul said, I would love to tell you what I heard, but I can't even speak those words. They're not even, it's not even the human... There's no words in human language to adequately describe what I saw and what I heard. That's revelation. Revelation is when God peels back the curtain and shows you something of himself that you didn't know before, that you didn't see before. Revelation is a wonderful thing. Revelation is wonderful. Revelation is what Jacob had when he went to sleep in the wilderness on the rock. And he had a dream that there was a stairway from earth to heaven. And the, the, the door of heaven was open. And angels were descending and ascending. And, and God was standing at the top of that ladder. And, and, and God the Father spoke to him and said, I will not leave you until I fulfill all of my good purpose for you. That was revelation. He woke up and said, surely God was in this place, but I didn't know it. Revelation is when you wake up to the fact that God is in this place. When revelation happens in your bedroom, you wake up to the fact that God is up in that place. When you when revelation happens in church, you wake up saying God is in that place. Listen, wherever revelation happens, you wake up and say, I had no idea that God was here the way he's here. Revelation is an awesome thing. Revelation is a wonderful thing. Revelation is a powerful thing. But revelation is not a destination. Hear me. Revelation is not a destination because as soon as God shows you something, as soon as God opens your ears and opens your eyes, if we see it as a destination, I have arrived at this place of revelation. We stop seeking. We stop hungering. We stop longing for more because we think this is it. I've arrived. You never arrive because the next thing God shows you is going to outstrip the last thing he showed you. Revelation is a journey and you never fully arrive because you never fully know The fullness of who God is. His glory is too great to be contained in one revelation. The angels in heaven are constantly crying out holy. Do you know what the word holy means? It means different. You know what they're saying? Whoa, that's different. They're standing in his presence and every moment they see something different. Every moment they experience something different. Every moment outstrips the last moment. And for eternity, they're going to stand in God's presence and cry out, that is different. Being in the presence of God never gets boring because every moment in the presence of God outstrips the power of the last moment in the presence of God. And so Peter had this powerful moment of revelation in which it was revealed to him who Jesus was, but he had had no way of preparing himself for what was coming next. He had a revelation that he really did not understand. 
Revelation and understanding are two different things. God can show you something that's true, and you know it to be true, but you have no idea what it means. In Daniel chapter 7, he had a dream. There were two thrones in heaven, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, and then one like a son of man came on clouds of glory. And it was hundreds of years later until Jesus said, I am the son of man. And suddenly we understood what Daniel saw there in Daniel chapter 7. Revelation, understanding had to catch up with revelation, and it took another revelation to understand the last revelation. What God showed you yesterday is only understood properly in the light of what he shows you tomorrow. And what he shows you tomorrow is only understood properly in the light of... Listen, revelation is progressive. And it is a journey. Because God has so much more to tell you. And so many more things to show you. And he said to his disciples, he said, I have so much more to tell you. But you can't handle it now. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you the spirit of truth. I'm going to send you the spirit of truth and he's going to tell you all things. He's going to take up what is mine and declare it to you. He's going to remind you of the things that I've said to you and he is going to guide you into all truth. I'm sending you the spirit of truth because I have more to tell you and I'm telling you tonight that God has more to tell you. Listen, if you're comfortable in the place you're at, if you're comfortable in the place you're at, if you're comfortable with the knowledge you have and with the light that you have, I'm telling you, you have no way of preparing yourself for what's about to come next. God has something more. Eight days after Peter receives this wonderful revelation, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter must have been excited because he knew something. He was the first to arrive at a level of revelation that no one else on earth knew. Imagine you are walking in a higher level of revelation than anyone else on the earth. If you're comparing yourself to the rest of mankind, you're walking in high-level revelation. But in Jesus' perspective, Peter didn't know nothing yet. Eight days go by. He says, Peter, John, James, come with me. I'm going to take you somewhere. We're going on a little field trip. Where are we going? Going up to that mountain up there. Now, whenever God takes you to a mountain, it's a good thing. He says, he took them up to a mountain. What are we going to do on that mountain? We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going up to that mountain to pray. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that mountains are a good thing. When God takes you to the mountain, he's about to show you something. Revelation always happens on the mountain. All the way, you go all the way back to Genesis when it was on Mount Moriah that God revealed himself to Abraham as Yahweh Yireh, my provider. Right? It was on Mount Sinai that God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. And on that same mountain that he revealed himself to the people of Israel. On that same mountain he called Moses up and Moses disappeared into the cloud. When God calls you up onto the mountain, it's a good thing. It was on a mountain that Elijah called down fire on the altar and killed the prophets of Baal and brought Israel back to him. It was on a mountain that Elijah met with God on Mount Horeb and and God spoke to him in a still, small voice. It was on a mountain and God always speaks from the mountaintop. Whenever God takes you to a mountaintop, when he invites you to a mountaintop, he's taking you to a place where he's going to show you something that you've never seen before. Peter, James, John, come on, come with me. We're going up to a mountain. I'm not taking you to the wilderness right now. Sometimes he allures you to the wilderness. The spirit of the Lord even drove Jesus into the wilderness for a season. When he he drives you into the wilderness, it's for a season of testing. But when he takes you to the mountaintop, it's for a moment of revelation. Buckle up because God's getting ready to take you to the mountaintop. 
And this is the word of the Lord. Many of you have been in a season of testing and you've gotten so used to the wilderness that you think that's what your life is going to be comprised of. One wilderness to the next wilderness to the next wilderness. And I just have to hold on and keep trusting the Lord. I know that I'm never going to understand anything. And I know that the forces are going to come against me and everything's going to go wrong for the rest of my life. And God has been saying that the wilderness season is coming to an end. Now I'm taking you out of the desert and I'm taking you up to the mountaintop and I'm going to show you my glory there. Come on, Peter, James, John. We're going up to the mountain. All right, let's go. They get up to the mountain and it says Jesus began to pray. Now, I would love, you know, I love going to see my pastor pray. You know what I used to do is just go to my pastor's church. Just during his prayer times, I would sneak in the back so he wouldn't even know I came in. And I would just sit in the, in the pew behind him. And I would just listen to the way he prayed for the members of his church. And then I would just pray in my heart and mind the same prayers for our church. You know, I would just follow him. I just wanted to watch him pray. And, and I just wanted to get a sense for how he does it. I want to I see that moment of intimacy that he has with God. I want to just be a fly on the wall when he's encountering God. But I can't imagine what the disciples must have experienced in stepping into Jesus' prayer closet. To see the kind of intimacy that Jesus has with the Father. To see that moment of prayer, they weren't ready for it. They were not ready for it. It was a whole nother level. It was beyond, and look what happened. It says that as Jesus began to pray, the appearance of his face changed. I've, you know, I've had some anointed prayer meetings, but I don't think the appearance of my face ever changed. The KJV said he was transfigured before them. He, was, he entered into the glory of the Father. When he began to talk to the Father, he entered into the glory of the Father. And it said his clothing began to gleam and became brighter than a flash of lightning. I mean, you've seen a flash of lightning. You ever see it just in the distance? Can you imagine standing next to a bolt of lightning? And it's not a moment. And then it says Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. In the glory of Jesus, the law and the prophets are seen in their proper light. You couldn't see the law and the prophets. Paul says a veil is read when Moses, a veil is worn when Moses is read, but when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. In the glory of Jesus Christ, suddenly you can look back on the law and the prophets and see it in the light of Jesus. The law and the prophets appear in glorious splendor. Why? Because they appear in the glory of Jesus. And it says they began to talk to him about his departure. I know the NKJV says about his decease as if it's speaking of his death. A better translation is the NIV. It says they spoke to him about his departure, meaning his ascension into glory. They were talking to him about the glory that he was about to be reunited with the Father. That he was about to ascend in the clouds of glory. That he was about to go back to his heavenly throne at the right hand of the Father. The law and the prophets were talking to Jesus about his ascension into heaven. 
heaven. And what, what Luke is telling us is that in the glory of Jesus, you can look back on the Old Testament and see that Moses and the, and, and the law and Elijah and all the prophets have been talking about the, the ascension of Jesus. They were talking about the glory of Jesus. Powerful moment of revelation. Much more powerful than the proposition, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's a great realization, but now you're actually seeing it. Knowing it is one thing, seeing it is another. To say that God is glorious is powerful, but to see his glory, wow. That's a whole nother level. But here's the rub. We got to look at this. Are you with me? Look at verse 32. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. Not a moment to get sleepy. Get sleepy later, not right now. Jesus is in glorious splendor talking to Moses and Elijah. You don't sleep through that prayer meeting. That is not a prayer meeting that you sit at the back of the room and wait for it to end. Jesus is being glorified before you. And Moses, dude, I mean, any any Hebrew, any Hebrew boy would get the opportunity to talk to Moses and Elijah. And you're sleeping through it. I mean, imagine coming home for prayer meeting. How was that prayer meeting? Oh, dude, it was tight. You know, Moses and Elijah showed up. Started talking to Jesus. What? You saw Moses and Elijah? What, what, what happened? What'd they say? I don't know. I slept through it. <laughs> you slept through that? But here's the key. They weren't even aware of it. Jesus is in glorious splendor, but they can't see it because they're heavy with sleep. Moses and Elijah are there, but they can't see him because they're heavy with sleep. Look at the rest of that verse. Verse 32. But when... They were fully awake. They saw his glory in the two men who stood with him. They didn't even see him. They had to wake up in order to see the revelation that was already happening in their presence. In their state of sleep, they had no idea of the glory of the Lord that was being revealed right now in their presence. Do you know that you can be on the mountain with Jesus being glorified before your face, but you miss it because you're asleep? Heavy with sleep. You miss it. It's not that the glory of Jesus isn't there. It's just that you're heavy with sleep. And so you can't see it. People, can you, you ever wonder? People come into the house of God and God's glory is there and the power of God is falling. And some people are so overwhelmed with the presence, they can hardly stand on their feet. And other people are yawning. Well, I don't feel nothing. It's because you've got to wake up. Now listen to this. There's two places in Luke where it says that the disciples of Jesus got sleepy. Two key places. This is the first on the mountain of transfiguration. The second one was in Luke chapter 22, verses 44 and following, when Jesus takes them up to the Garden of Gethsemane, on the Mount of Olives, and he's, he says, watch with me this one hour, and then he goes a little further to pray. 
So he's thinking they're back. I mean, he is facing his death. He knows any minute they're going to show up, take him away, beat him, and kill him. And he just knows that his disciples got his back. That in his greatest moment of agony, they're going to be back there interceding on his behalf, right? And so he goes for about an hour, and then he comes back to his disciples to see how they're doing, and they're sound asleep. He says, wow. With disciples like this, who needs Pharisees? <laughs> sound asleep. And it says that they were exhausted from sorrow. There are two fundamental places where the enemy's primary attack against you is weariness. And two fundamental places where your physical body responds with weariness. The first is in the place where you're about to transition into a new level of revelation. Whenever God wants to take you to a higher level of revelation, your physical body senses the transition and it can't handle it. It just begins to shut down. Your physical body doesn't know what to do with the glory of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 or 14, one of those, it says, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Your natural man doesn't know what to do with the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord appears and your natural man just goes to sleep. Your natural man just goes into shutdown. Like, I don't know what to do with this, so I'm just going to go to sleep because, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to shut down. What happened in John chapter 1 when Jesus appeared in glory to John the Apostle? He said, I fell at his feet like a dead man. In Daniel chapter 10, when he had his vision of the glorious man, he was laying on his face before him. And he said, stand up and talk to me. He said, I can't. You're too glorious. I don't have any strength in my body. Your physical body doesn't know what to do with the glory of the Lord. And here's what happens. When your soul begins to enter into a higher level of revelation in the spirit, your physical body just starts to go into shutdown. That's why when you want to pray at night, what happens? Soon as I mean, you could watch movies till three o'clock in the morning, but you can open your Bible at nine p.m. And, uh, 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 it's been a long day. Uh, let me just uh, turn on the television and go to sleep tomorrow night when I've got more energy. Maybe I'll. And as soon as you turn on the TV, all right. Oh, what's on? Yeah, that's my show. As soon as you get on your knees to pray, oh Lord, thank you. Hallelujah. Oh, glorify oh, your name. Oh Lord, thank you for giving me rest. Mm. Jesus said, Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. It's funny, every time I go before the Lord, He just takes me directly into His rest. greatest obstacle to enter in entering into a higher place of revelation is physical tiredness. Physical tiredness. What? Why didn't you come to church on Sunday? I was so tired. Why didn't you come to prayer meeting? Oh, I was just so worn out. Tired? Worn out? 
tired. You know what was happening. God was waiting there to reveal himself to you in a greater way. And your, your soul was ready to enter into the spirit. But in that moment in which revelation was beginning to happen, your physical body went into shutdown. And Jesus said it this way in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That natural flesh nature says, I don't know what to do with this. And so in order to enter into the spirit, you must overcome the weariness of the flesh. You must tell the physical body, I know you're tired. I know you don't know what to do with this. This isn't for you anyway. And you got to step right over the weariness of the body and command your soul to wake up and say, wake up. Jesus is being glorified in your midst. Wake up and get it. You're not going to sleep through this. So many of us have been sleeping through the scriptures. I read a chapter a day, but I'm sleeping my way through it. And so I never saw the glory of Jesus. Every time you open the word of God, you should be confronted by the glory of Jesus. If you're not seeing the glory of Jesus, you're asleep. Every time you pray, you know what I do when I pray? I pray till I wake up. And I know when I wake up because I begin to see the glory of Jesus. And when I go back to Moses and Elijah, I see the glory of Jesus there. And if I'm not seeing the glory of Jesus, I pray until I begin to see the glory of Jesus. It's time for the church to wake up. The second context is when you're facing the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples didn't know what to do with it. The physical body doesn't know what to do with sacrifice. Offering myself to God, giving my everything to God, the physical body just starts to shut down. As soon as I feel the cross take, having its work in me, as soon as I feel that God is taking me through this a stripping process, taking me through a process in which he's breaking stuff off of me, my physical body just starts to shut down. I remember when we first started the church, I was preaching on the cross. The Lord kept speaking to me about the cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. Jesus said in this same passage there in Luke chapter 9, before this, he said, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself daily, take up his cross and come and follow me. And, and I was preaching on that for a long time. And there was a young man, he, he was coming to the church faithfully. And then all of a sudden he disappeared. And I ran into him after a couple months. I said, I haven't seen you at church in a while. What happened? He said, well, you were preaching on, you know, giving up everything for Jesus and the cross and all that. And honestly, that's just, that's just, uh, you know not too desirable for me you know it's like i don't wake up in the morning going i think i want to give up everything for jesus no i i still want to hold on to a few things that that was his i was like well thanks for your honesty because you know most people think that way but they don't have the guts to say it <laughs> you're like look i'm gonna just keep it real with you bro <laughs> you know i'm gonna just you know, i ain't trying to lie <laughs> all that giving up everything for jesus stuff you know it sounds good you know theologically i'm sure it makes sense and i'm sure it's right on but uh nah the physical body, the flesh, that natural nature, it wants to cling to the natural. That natural nature wants to cling to the visible and it doesn't want to live by faith. That And what it is is that Adamic nature that says, I only believe what I see. But God wants to take you beyond that. He wants to take you past the flesh and into the spirit. And Jesus said, those, or Paul said, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You've put it to death. You stepped over it. You've gone to a higher place. And suddenly you begin to wake up and you find, listen, I find that when God wants to reveal himself to me and when he's calling me, 
scream when he wants to speak to me. I don't care if it's 3 o'clock in the morning. If I command my soul to wake up, my soul will wake up and say, Lord, I'm listening. Your servant hears. You know what's not written in this text here in, in Luke chapter 9? What's not written is how they woke up. It just said they were heavy with sleep. Implicit is that they could not see him or Moses and Elijah. But it said, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and those who stood with him. When they were fully awake, suddenly something woke them up. You know what I think happened? I think Jesus woke them up. I think, hey, hey, wake up. You're missing something here. I think Jesus woke them up. Up. Listen, Jesus is trying to wake you up tonight. Whenever he sends a word to his house, whenever he sends a word to his people, he's sending that word to wake us up. Paul said it in Romans chapter 13, verses something following. He said, it is high time to awake from sleep for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. It's time to wake up. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. And waking up is about making a decision. It's a decision that says, I'm not going to live my life outside of the awareness of the presence of God. Listen, if you allow yourself to remain asleep, you will remain asleep. But if you simply make a decision, it starts when you make a decision. I am not going to live life that way anymore. I'm going to wake up. Why? Because God is with me 24-7, 365. I should be aware of his presence 24-7, 365. But instead, I'm aware of everything that my natural man sees. Now watch this. This is funny. So they wake up. And now they're right up in the revelation, but they still don't understand it. They see Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, and Peter goes, this is great, Lord. This is great. I got an idea. Here's an idea. Let's build three churches. The church of Moses, the church of Elijah, and the church of Jesus. Let's do that. Well, it's good. Thanks for, thanks for sharing this with us. Let's, let's build three churches. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. You know what Peter was saying? He was saying, wow, you're greater than I thought you were. I thought you were a great prophet. Now I see that you're in the company of Moses and Elijah. A prophet like unto Moses and Elijah. And all of a sudden a cloud. <laughs> I mean, you just see the father going, oh, let me go fix this. <laughs> you know? And, a and yet the father comes in a cloud. And it says Peter, James, and John started freaking out. I can imagine James and John's going, we can keep your big mouth shut. Always getting us in trouble. Man, now the father's going to kill us. The cloud comes. And the father speaks from the cloud. And he says, this is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. Hear him. You know what the father was saying? Peter, you didn't understand that last revelation you got. I told you he was the Christ, the son of the living God. Wow. You're thinking he's equal with Moses and Elijah. You know God can show you something and you're still not walking in the fullness of that revelation. I mean, you can wake up. Oh, you know, God showed me this and you're like, and somebody said, God showed you that like 18 times before, but you're still living as if he hadn't showed you that. Peter didn't let that revelation seep all the way through his life. You know, there's a lot of what I call seared believers. 
seared. You know, if you take a piece of ahi or, you know, tuna or something, and you sear it on both sides, it looks cooked on the outside, but it is raw on the inside. Sometimes the heat of God's revelation hasn't made it all the way through the core of your being. And so you're seared on the outside, so you look mature, and you look like you're on fire, and you look like you're filled with the fire of God, but on the inside, you're just as raw and uncooked as if you never met him before. And it says, when the cloud lifted, they saw Jesus alone. Meaning the law and the prophets all testified to Jesus. Jesus doesn't testify to the law of the prophets. The law and the prophets testified to Jesus. Moses and Elijah, what were they were about? They were about telling us about Jesus. You hearing me? The greatest revelation that God ever gave in history was his son, Jesus Christ. But you can't see that unless God gives you revelation. But here's the key. God is constantly taking folks up to the mountain and wanting to show them great things. But if you don't wake up, you'll come down the mountain and say, nothing happened. What happened up there? Nothing. Nothing, man. It's nothing like Peter said it was. I was waiting for him to start gleaming or something. Because you slept through it. You slept through it. You Listen, God wants to take you to the mountain. <coughs> Peter said it in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 and following. He said, we did not tell you cleverly invented fables when we told you of the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He says, for he received glory and honor from God the Father when the voice came to him from the, from the majestic glory saying, this is my son. With him I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And he said, and we heard that voice when we were with him on the mountain. You know, when I, I read that the other day, it hit me like it didn't dawn on me that the Peter that's writing this stuff was the Peter that stood on the mountain with Jesus and heard the voice come out of the cloud and got the dickens scared out of him. He said, we heard this voice when we stood with him on the mountain. John said it in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 and following. That which was from the beginning, which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have looked upon, which our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That life was manifested and we've seen and heard that life which was with the Father from the beginning and was manifested to us. And these things we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us. And surely our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John is saying, I'm telling you what I know. I've seen it with my eyes. I've handled it with my hands. I've heard it with my ears. I'm an eyewitness of his majesty. Why does God take us up on the mountain and give us revelation? Because he wants us to come down the mountain as those who have seen with our eyes and heard with our ears. Listen, we've got too many Christian scribes who have just read a bunch of books. I'm talking about Christian prophets and apostles who have stood with them on the holy mountain and came down and said, I've seen it with my eyes. He's real. Come on, somebody. We've been sleepwalking. Sleepwalking. Walking through life. Even walking in the spirit, but sleepwalking. Because we're walking in the spirit and we don't even know it. Sleepwalking. Walking in victory and don't even know it. I'm telling you every day, God wants to give you a greater revelation of who he is. Every day he wants to take you to the mountain to pray. Every day. He wants to remove the veil from your eyes. Every day. But you've got to wake up. You're not going to see his glory until you're fully awake. And the word of the Lord tonight is awake. Awake, O oh sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Awake, it's high time. It's high time to awake from sleep for our salvation is nearer now 
than when we first believed. It's time to wake up. I don't know about you, but when the Lord gave me this yesterday, I made a decision every day. When I wake up in the morning, I'm going to command my soul to wake up. And I'm going to cry out to the Lord, Lord, do not let me miss the revelation that you want to drop into my spirit today. Do not let me miss it. Don't let me sleep through it. Don't let me be lulled to sleep by the lullabies of the world. Don't let me be lulled to sleep by the lullabies of the promises of pleasure that come from the world. Don't let me be lulled to sleep by the things of this world so that I sleep through your revelation. Open my ears. Open my eyes. It's time to wake up. It's time for the people of God to rise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. I say it's time to wake up. Amen. 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 Stand up on your feet right now. I want you to just lift up your voices to the Lord and cry out. I want you to make a decision.